third part of chapter two of the second volume of the life of reason this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela krantz the life of reason by george santayana chapter two the family part three side note opposite modern tendencies those forms of free love or facile divorce to which radical opinion and practice incline in these days tend to transform the family without abolishing it many unions might continue to be lasting and the children in any case would remain with one or the other parent the family has already suffered greater transformations than that suggested by this sect polygamy persists involving its own type of morals and sentiment and savage tribes show even more startling conventions nor is it reasonable to dismiss all ideals but the christian and then invoke christian patience to help us endure the consequent evils which are thus declared to be normal no evil is normal of course virtue is the cure for every abuse but the question is the true complexion of virtue and the regimen needful to produce it christianity with its non-political and remedial prescriptions in the form of prayer penance and patience has left the causes of every evil untouched it has so truly come to call a sinner to repentance that its occupation would be gone if once the sin could be abolished side note individualism in a sense rational while a desirable form of society entirely without the family is hard to conceive yet the general tendency in historic times and the marked tendency in periods of ripe development has been toward individualism individualism is in one sense the only possible ideal for whatever social order may be most valuable can be valuable only for its effect on conscious individuals man is of course a social animal and needs society first that he may come safely into being and then that he may have something interesting to do but society itself is no animal and has neither instincts interests nor ideals to talk of such things is either to speak metaphorically or to think mythically and myths the more currency they acquire pass the more easily into superstitions it would be a gross and pedantic superstition to venerate any form of society in itself apart from the safety breadth or sweetness which it lent to individual happiness if the individual may be justly subordinated to the state not merely for the sake of a future freer generation but permanently and in the ideal society the reason is simply that such subordination is a part of man's natural devotion to things rational and impersonal in the presence of which alone he can be personally happy society in its future and its past is a natural object of interest like art or science it exists like them because only when lost in such rational objects can a free soul be active and immortal but all these ideals are terms in some actual life not alien ends important to nobody to which notwithstanding everybody is to be sacrificed individualism is therefore the only ideal possible the excellence of societies is measured by what they provide for their members a cumbrous and sanctified social order manifests dullness and cannot subsist without it it immerses man in instrumentalities weighs him down with atrophied organs 
and by subjecting him eternally to fruitless sacrifices renders him stupid and superstitious and ready to be himself tyrannical when the opportunity occurs a sure sign of having escaped barbarism is therefore to feel keenly the pragmatic values belonging to all institutions to look deep into the human sanctions of things greece was on this ground more civilized than rome and athens more than sparta ill-governed communities may be more intelligent than well-governed ones when people feel the motive and partial advantage underlying the abuses they tolerate as happens where slavery or nepotism is prevalent but when on the other hand no reason is perceived for the good laws which are established as when law is based on revelation the effort to adjust old institutions suddenly to felt needs may not always be prudent because the needs most felt may not be the deepest yet so far as it goes the effort is intelligent side note the family tamed the family in a barbarous age remains sacrosanct and traditional nothing in its law manners or ritual is open to amendment the unhappiness which may consequently overtake individuals is hushed up or positively blamed with no thought of tinkering with the holy institutions which are its cause civilized men think more and cannot endure objectless tyrannies it is inevitable therefore that as barbarism recedes the family should become more sensitive to its members personal interests husband and wife when they are happily matched are in liberal communities more truly united than before because such closer friendship expresses their personal inclination children are still cared for because love of them is natural but they are ruled less and sooner suffered to choose their own associations they are more largely given in charge to persons not belonging to the family especially fitted to supply their education the whole in a word exists more and more for the sake of the parts and the closeness duration and scope of family ties comes to vary greatly in different households barbaric custom imposed in all cases alike without respect of persons yields to a regimen that dares to be elastic and will take pains to be just side note possible readjustments and reversions how far these liberties should extend and where they would pass into license and undermine rational life is another question the pressure of circumstances is what ordinarily forces governments to be absolute political liberty is a sign of moral and economic independence the family may safely weaken its legal and customary authority so long as the individual can support and satisfy himself children evidently never can consequently they must remain in a family or in some artificial substitute for it which would be no less coercive but to what extent men and women in a future age may need to rely on ties of consanguinity or marriage in order not to grow solitary purposeless and depraved is for profits only to predict if changes continue in the present direction much that is now in bad odor may come to be accepted as normal it might happen for instance as a consequence of woman's independence that mothers alone should be their children's guardians and sole mistresses in their houses the husband if he were acknowledged at all having at most a pecuniary responsibility for his offspring 
such an arrangement would make a stable home for the children while leaving marriage dissoluble at the will of either party it may well be doubted however whether women if given every encouragement to establish and protect themselves would not in the end fly again into man's arms and prefer to be drudges and mistresses at home to living disciplined and submerged in some larger community indeed the effect of women's emancipation might well prove to be the opposite of what was intended really free and equal competition between men and women might reduce the weaker sex to such graceless inferiority that deprived of the deference and favor they now enjoy they should find themselves entirely without influence in that case they would have to begin again at the bottom an appeal to arts of seduction and to men's fondness in order to regain their lost social position side note the ideal includes generation there is a certain order in progress which it is impossible to retract an advance must not subvert its own basis nor revoke the interest which it furthers while hunger subsists the art of ploughing is rational had agriculture abolished appetite it would have destroyed its own rationality similarly no state of society is to be regarded as ideal in which those bodily functions are supposed to be suspended which created the ideal by suggesting their own perfect exercise if old age and death were abolished reproduction indeed would become unnecessary its pleasures would cease to charm the mind and its results pregnancy childbirth infancy would seem positively horrible but so long as reproduction is necessary the ideal of life must include it otherwise we should be constructing not an ideal of life but some dream of non-human happiness a dream whose only remnant of ideality would be borrowed from such actual human functions as it still expressed indirectly the true ideal must speak for all necessary and compatible functions man being an inevitably reproductive animal his reproductive function must be included in his perfect life side note inner values already lodged in this function now any function to reach perfection it must fulfill two conditions it must be delightful in itself endowing its occasions and results with ideal interest and it must also cooperate harmoniously with all other functions so that life may be profitable and happy in the matter of reproduction nature has already fulfilled the first of these conditions in its essentials it has indeed superabundantly fulfilled them and not only has love appeared in man's soul the type and symbol of all vital perfection but a tenderness and charm a pathos passing into the frankest joy has been spread over pregnancy birth and childhood if many pangs and tears still prove how tentative and violent even here are nature's most brilliant feats science and kindness may strive not unsuccessfully to diminish or abolish those profound traces of evil but reproduction will not be perfectly organized until the second condition is fulfilled as well and here nature has as yet been more remiss family life as western nations possess it is still regulated in a very bungling painful and unstable manner hence in the first rank of evils prostitution adultery divorce improvident and unhappy marriages and in the second rank 
a morality compacted of three inharmonious parts, with incompatible ideals, each in its way legitimate. I mean the ideals of passion, of convention, and of reason. Add, besides, genius and religion thwarted by family ties. Single lives empty, wedded lives constrained, a shallow gallantry and a dull virtue. Side note. Outward beneficence might be secured by experiment. How to surround the natural sanctities of wedlock with wise custom and law. How to combine the maximum of spiritual freedom with the maximum of moral cohesion is a problem for experiment to solve. It cannot be solved even ideally in a utopia. For each interest in play has its rights, and the prophet neither knows what interests may at a given future time subsist in the world, nor what relative force they may have, nor what mechanical conditions may control their expression. The statesman in his sphere, and the individual in his, must find, as they go, the best practical solutions. All that can be indicated beforehand is the principle which improvements in this institution would comply with if they were really improvements. They would reform and perfect the function of reproduction without discarding it. They would maintain the family unless they could devise some institution that combined intrinsic and representative values better than does that natural artifice, and they would recast either the instincts or the laws concerned, or both simultaneously, until the family ceased to clash seriously with any of these three things, natural affection, rational nurture, and moral freedom. End of chapter 2, part 3. Recording by Pamela Krantz.